and welcome to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good week. Got a bunch of questions to get through uh, on this podcast, but if you'd like to send in a question for next week's TRK Mailbag, you can do so at uh, info at threeredkings.com. Uh, you can send that in with TRK Mailbag in the subject line, or you can send me a message on Patreon or leave a comment underneath this post uh, when you see it on Patreon also. So let's get to the first couple of questions. And this is an interesting one. Um, this one came in earlier in the week and I'm actually going to invert this because I've got a few questions like this. This is from uh, definitely not Bayern <laughs> in the TRK Secret Club. Uh, Tom, do the chinks in the armor exposed at international level transfer to club level as potential areas for uh, exploring against Leinster? And uh, the short answer to that is yes. Uh, this happened, this, this question is a few weeks old actually. Um, but it is on my run this week because I think it's quite pertinent because um, I've got a, a lot of questions from people wondering what are Ireland's weaknesses? Um, how could Ireland and how would Ireland lose a game if Ireland were to lose a game? How would a team approach that? And uh, looking at it on on the face of it, I think you first thing you'd say is that Ireland are an incredibly formidable side um, who have over the last two years really, really pushed um, I, I suppose the limits of what type of cohesion and type of I suppose the sort of low latency rugby that you can get at test rugby like there's a question coming up in a minute that, that that's a little bit like this as well but like Ireland play like an incredibly high level club side at the highest level of the game which is so difficult to do it's the gold standard that everybody's looking for that immediately takes out a ton of potential weaknesses for Ireland but because the opposition that Ireland are playing are not are likely to be not as cohesive as Ireland are it makes it all that all that more harder for them to exploit it because they don't have that inbuilt cohesion to do so so it's a massive advantage to Ireland um, the levels of cohesion that are there but if you were to beat Ireland you have to look at what Ireland do well and what the core principles of Ireland's game are, certainly in 2023, because there has been a bit of a shift in the last number of months, the way that Ireland are approaching most games. Um, the first thing to notice about Ireland with the, the, the choice of 10 is that, relatively speaking, Ireland's 10 touches the ball way less than the 10s of, we'll say, Scotland, uh, France, even England, uh, Italy, Wales. Uh, the number of touches that they have um, with regards to passing the ball or carrying the ball is quite low. Um, what Ireland have done quite well, and, and this is something that's kind of crept in in a way that hasn't been seen as, as the conservative rugby that it is often seen as, but Ireland play a ton of rugby off nine now, which is not, not, a, not a massive shift. That was always there last year as well. A lot of Ireland's work and best work was done off ten for the, or off nine for the most part with the occasional screen ball going to 10. And, and most of the time when you see the nine passing to 10, uh, certainly in inside the opposition's 10-meter line, mostly that's a kick reset. Um, and I think the numbers, you look at the amount of um, balls handled, which is a you know, fairly funny term for did you pass the ball or, or carry it to the gain line. Uh, both Ross Byrne and uh, Johnny Sexton have incredibly low numbers in that regard. So Ireland play what is actually quite low-risk rugby most of the time. And uh, the, the biggest feature of Ireland's game is 
counter transition. Now, people have asked me, and another question is there, I'm going to roll it into this one also. What is counter transition? But to understand what counter transition is, we have to understand first what a transition is. Um, there are four states in a game, uh, in, in, a, in a game like rugby. There is attacking, there is defense, there is de uh, defensive transition, there is attacking transition. There are the four main moments in the game that you have to understand. There's set piece also, but there's also attacking and defensive set piece, so they're the same thing. Um, what transition is, is when you are transitioning from a defensive position into an attacking one while the opposition are doing the opposite. So they were on the attack, now they're on defense, and in that switching of states and in that switching of, of roles between you and the opposition, opportunities often present themselves. Defense is and has been, I think, the most dominant factor in rugby over the last number of years to the point where people have been asking questions at the core level of the game. How do we make for more attacking rugby? Uh, there was talk of maybe we remove somebody, you know, make it a 14-man game or a 13-man game like rugby league, um, basically because of the impact of uh, the blitz defense, which was, I suppose, introduced by Sean Edwards at Wasps with Warren Gatland and then brought to a whole new level at Wales. And since then, the sort of the, the adaption, I suppose, of rugby league defence, and Andy Farrell is a guy who was a, a big leader in this aspect of the game as well, um, that became a, a new frontier of defence in the game. And how many times have you seen in a game uh, defence is just smothering the attack and making it so, so difficult to play any sort of phase play at all with the, the incredible line speed that's there, which sometimes runs the line of, is it offside, is it not? Uh, but that's it was, a, it was a huge factor in the likes of Saracens, for example, winning all they did uh, from the middle of the last decade, you know, for those three or four years until they, they imploded with the salary cap stuff. But you look at Wales, like a lot of their grand slams, their success in the Six Nations under Warren Gatland, it came from the impact defence of, of Sean Edwards, which is a rugby league blitz defence. Look at France, when Sean Edwards moved over there, um, the impact he had there was also massive. Um, that sort of defensive approach means that when it comes to settled phase play, I think over the last five or six years, you saw most teams deciding that we're going to go for maybe three or four phases of attack, but if there's nothing doing, we're just going to kick and reset. Now, with defenses being as strong as they are, um, what teams have then started doing is, relatively recently in the last number of years, is kicking the ball away, to receive the ball on transition. So what every team wants, I think you, you, all, you always hear it, playing off a turnover is the best is the best way to play because the team who were defending, or who were attacking rather, are now defending. There are players out of position. You have heavier players in the wider channels often or they can be exposed for mismatches. There's, you know, numbers all over the place. That's what people talk about when they talk, when, when they come, you know, talk about the, the, the power of, of, of playing off a turnover, right? Be it a breakdown turnover or whatever. What counter transition does is it aims to do just that, which is increase the amount of ball that you play, which is uh, against the opposition as they are transitioning from an offensive position to a defensive position. And counter transition is where you are um, looking for a transition ball, but you are almost countering it in advance by kicking the ball directly to them. When you look at Ireland over the last number of years, and I think over the last two years, 
and, and Leinster, by the way, are, are the exact same. Uh, the differences between Ireland and Leinster with regards to what they do are very small. Because look, the personnel are broadly the same. So when you're looking at a, a counter-transition, what you're doing is, is that you're baiting the opposition to give you what you want, which is transition possession. This will often present itself as a kind of a longer kicking battle. Because what a counter-transition team wants to do is they want to be the very best team in the world at transition defense and transition attack. Because um, what the opposition will want to do is if you're keeping the ball infield, and you'll often see Ireland do this, where we used to be a team who would box kick quite a bit. We've moved away from that completely. And we've been doing that actually since before the 2019 World Cup. But that's accelerated over the last number of years where most of Ireland's kicks now, and, and we do kick a lot, are are long. The meters on the kicks on, on average are very, very long. They're not contestable by design. So a lot of times people say, oh, geez, that, that's a bad kick. The chase wasn't there. It's not to, to pressurize the receipt of the ball. Although, look, if that was possible, great. That's not necessarily what they want to do, though. What they want to do is get that ball downfield into a position, into an area. So you're, you've got three main zones, and you're in, if you're looking down the field with the posts in front of you, you've got three main zones. You, some teams do it into four zones, but we'll just do it for three for simplicity. You have center field, you have left field, you have right field. When you're kicking into a certain zone, you're doing it knowing that that will manipulate the opposition to follow the ball. They're not just they're not just going to let the ball bounce and just stay, you know, in field without 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 reacting to it. So they will move in and they will take it. Their backfield defenders will be their fullback, their wingers, possibly the, the fly half as well, depending on their scheme. What they will do then, one of two things. Well, no, one of three things. They will either take the ball and look to kick it directly off the field, which whatever way they do it, unless it's a 50-22, which if you're kicking deep into their half of the field is possible, but unlikely that they'll be able to land such a kick off the back of that so if they kick that directly to touch um if they do it from inside the 22 of course the ball goes where they you know your, your line out goes where the ball went out went off field which is fine ireland in that instance would still make a territorial gain and our line out is very good so we're happy enough with that play we have made 10 or 15 meters without kicking the ball but that's not the core principle of counter transition rugby that's just kicking the ball and like there's a reason why people do it it gets you cheap meters if that's what the outcome is if you kick it down the middle of the field the guy looks at it he loads it up boots it as long as that ball doesn't go beyond where the ball was passed back from at the last ruck you've made meters without having to do anything all you did was kick the ball you've advanced up the field with the ball five meters ten meters you did that without having to carry the ball once that's a tactical and a territorial win if they then decide they're going to run the ball back what your transition defense does then is that they meet them whenever they run that ball back and this doesn't have to be immediately after they get the ball but most teams like to set up a brick wall around the halfway line or just inside it just inside the opposition's half to try and you know make sure that you are whatever happens that you're pressurizing the runner and if you're because you'll often see a chaser for Ireland that'll be Gary Ringrose it'll be James Lowe it'll be Mac Hansen or Hugo Keenan the odd time and what you're looking to do with them is is that you're not necessarily looking to make a tackle although if you can great what you're looking to do is just to run them into your 
other defenders. So you're cutting off the outside to go, okay, look, beat me. I'll make a swipe at you or whatever else. But if you're heading towards where my defenders are advancing, that's a defensive win for me. So in that moment, then, he will meet the transition defense. They will hit him hard because that's a high-velocity collision. They will put breakdown pressure over the ball at the breakdown because, remember, the opposition team were defending. Now they have to transition into attack. They have to get into an attack position and secure the rook. So what you'll often see a good transition defensive team do when you're playing a counter-transition style game is you are beating the potential rook guys who are going to secure the first rook. You are beating them to the line of the collision. So when you get there and you make that tackle, they're struggling to get around and you win a breakdown penalty in that moment or you turn the ball over clean. That's the second aim that's possible. But the third aim is something that happens a lot in the game. And it is this. The opposition will look at the ball. If you kick it down the middle of the field or if it's kept in play, they will look at it. They will assess the field, the backfield, and they will kick the ball back to you. Now, at this point your defensive team because you've kicked the ball they are now defenders will have advanced up a little bit because they have to assume that if this guy runs back we have to be in place when he kicks the ball his team who were attackers a second ago because their team had possession are now defenders again so they have to they were running back now they have to move forward so there's lots of kind of middle space movement here between a lot of the packs and midfield and other guys like that they're kind of managing off sidelines as well what happens then is is that Ireland in particular, one of the key skill sets that anybody in their back in their in the, the back line have to have is they have to be good kickers of the ball. Be they 12, 13, 11, 14, 15. You all have to be a very good and accurate kicker of the ball. James Lowe is a very good kicker of the ball. Hugo Keenan has become an incredibly good kicker of the ball. Mac Hansen, say it with me, very good kicker of the ball. So what happens then is is that when the ball comes back in that moment when Ireland take it you are then in a position where you as the 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 ball handler you're looking for communications from the likes of Sexton or from the likes of Lowe or Keenan or Ringrose they will have spotted something or they'll see something they'll give you instructions if you're taking that ball on we'll say right field or if you take it in center field or left field you'll have comms from guys who will be looking to get into onside positions so they'll be running back behind you so that if you decide to pass in the ball you're not passing the ball forward basic stuff but that sort of work rate is appreciated getting into position uh, you can pass me the ball now okay i'm in a position where maybe i can kick because i've got a better angle or i'm a left footed kicker i've got a better look down the field i can you know double down on the kick if we want but say ireland want to attack on that transition and you'll often see hugo keenan being the guy who does this he's very quick he's very elusive he's actually deceptively strong so when he runs back and he hits that line um ireland's transition attack with regards to securing the breakdown is the best in the world at the moment so that's one area where if you're looking to try and attack Ireland, your transition defense has to be as good as Ireland's transition attack, which means that you have to be there to be able to get into position really, really quickly and make sure that when Ireland look to try to you know, start that rock, because remember, when that rock is set, that's an offside line. So you can't go running beyond there. If you do, penalty. Ireland kick it deep, go to the line out. So in that moment, uh, Ireland's transition Rock work gets into place, likes of Vander Fleer, likes of Caelan Doris, likes of Peter Romani, will secure those rocks. 
then Ireland are very, very good at getting into shape very, very quickly on transition. So Ireland have scored a ton of tries on kick return this year because of that. So when you have that, uh, there's there's three players in the pod, for example, Sexton will be very, very quick at getting into position. He then will make a play decision based on that. So depending on what's on, he might look to try and do a cross-field kick. He might look to try and carry himself the odd time, which he does, and he's quite effective at doing so. Or he'll fling a pass. He's got uh, He's one of the most... I think he's got the highest pass accuracy of any other 10 in the Six Nations this year. He's able to hit um, guys in good positions and all of a sudden you'll see Ireland making breaks and coming down to like the, you know, how did Ireland get around that defender? It's Ireland's transition attack. And if you want to try and stop Ireland on transition, you have to be good at transition defence. And not just that, you have to be able to and willing to deny Ireland transition ball so I think the team that will beat Ireland will be the team who has a good transition defence and a heavy transition defence which means that when Ireland look to try and go through the first one, two or three phases on a post transition sequence which is when Hugo Keenan will say just runs the ball back we secure the rook you hit the ball off nine for example with Gibson Park will run really quickly he'll get that ball off to nine you chuck it up there's another rock set then, then another one, and then you'll see Ireland look to try and go to maybe a gimmick play after that. What you need to be able to do if you're a, a team who will beat Ireland is beat Ireland to the first breakdown on transition and squeeze that ball and make that first phase of transition very, very difficult. When Ireland look to reset, because this is Ireland's game, like we will look to try and play off that regardless if the ball is low quality or not. There's an idea that you have to try and slow Ireland down, like you know, slow Ireland's breakdown to make sure most of our rocks are under three, se- are over three seconds. That won't do it. That won't do it. Like, and that that's a waste of resources. You won't do that. You might do it on transition. That's where you have to focus it. But don't bother with that on phase play unless they're very obvious breakdown uh, entries. So you have to be willing to meet them on the gain line there on transition and hurt them in defence. Break that, you know, get a good, a strong poaching game only on transition, and look to try and force an error off that, uh, off of that sequence of play. But it goes back even further to the guy who receives the ball off the Irish kick down the middle or wherever it goes, left field, centre field, right field. If you're able to beat their first defender and then the second defender, you can get away in Ireland on transition because Ireland are very aggressive. There's lots of space that's in and around there, so I think a team that will beat Ireland might have a kick on the second phase or even on the first phase of transition um to try and catch ireland from blitzing on transition defense um and scoring when ireland give them the ball the big worry about playing counter transition rugby is is that you end up giving away the ball but if the opposition do not go to either kicking the ball off the field or returning the kick in kind but they are able to retain the ball on transition and head into multi-phase possession that can be a big risk for this Irish team I think looking at what France wanted to do is that they wanted to 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 mimic I think part of what La Rochelle did in the Champions Cup final of last year where when Leinster kicked the ball to La Rochelle La Rochelle did not give them the ball back they hung on to possession went through multiple phases of possession and Leinster struggled to live with them and that's how you take away elements of what Ireland do in counter-transition by not playing counter-transition. Now, there is another kind of, I suppose, a more a more kind of prosaic way of doing it, which is they kick the ball back to you, for example. You kick it off the field. 
you know legally so you're not kicking it and you know you're not putting it out in the full or whatever but once you manage to exit get it off the field set up a line out and then attack ireland at the line out that's the other way to do it give ireland a lot of line outs but then bring ireland's completion rate at the line out below below 80 percent when ireland have been been below 80 percent we have struggled in games and like that's the other way to do it but it's, it's difficult like that is a difficult way to go about it you've got to have you've got to be very very aggressive in the air and I think you know I, I spoke about how La Rochelle did it when you look at how the Bulls did it that was very similar last year in the URC as well where they really went after Leinster in the lineout and made it very very difficult for them to launch and that sort of thing when you combine it with a scrum that could force penalties gives you a, 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 a way into the game against Leinster slash Ireland and not many teams have that ability, you know, but that will be what teams are working on. Uh, attacking in transition, I think. If, you know, if, I, if I'm Scotland or uh, maybe likes of New Zealand, I'm looking at beating Ireland on that transition ball where when they kick to us, for example, if I'm Scotland or, or New Zealand, I'm, I'm saying we'll beat them on that transition. So we will get beyond their first two defenders. We will hurt them with our phase play. We will reset quicker than they do and we will hurt them that way. Or if you're the likes of France or South Africa, you could say, well, look, when they kick the ball or when we kick the ball back to them, we will meet them harder on transition. We will win more breakdown turnovers. We will punish them physically or we'll get the ball off the field and we'll attack them with our massive line-out defense. They're about the only two or three ways, I would say, to beat Ireland when Ireland are playing well. Because again, if Ireland play poorly, look, any team can beat any team if you're playing poorly. But that, that would be how I would approach it. Would be those three main areas which is your transition attack being able to hang on to the ball on multi-phase after Leinster or Ireland kick the ball to you and then the um, beating them on, on transition defence when Ireland are looking to try and attack meet them very very hard on the gain line yourself pressurise them there and discourage Ireland from going through those phases because what I think what Ireland don't like to do is play too many phases not on our terms in our half of the field so like there is a possibility as well that you could do a kind of a, a box kick contestable style game that could make it very difficult for Ireland but that's only in an environment where you're getting you know where you're getting return at the scrum like if you're if you're getting rewarded at scrum time perhaps that would make sense but if you're not then look you're only just giving Ireland a platform to play offset piece which is a really big strength of Ireland's as well so that's for me if I was looking to do it that's how I would go about it like that would be an area of weakness for Ireland is, is in that can we hijack this area of what Ireland are good at and if we can take that away from them we make it incrementally more difficult for them to look to literally just score points and like that's that's <laughs> I mean we've all been on the, the Jeff Neville seminar of you know if you score more points than the other team you win the game but that's a good way of stopping Ireland from scoring the type of tries that we've used to just counterpunch teams and, and that's something that, you know, Ireland have really improved over the last number of years. But it's, it's an area as well where I think that you can hurt Ireland if you can attack those key areas. So thank you very much for that question. Definitely not Baron. And I know you're definitely not Baron. I know you're not. Uh, Eugene says, uh, Tom, you mentioned in the five-star podcast that the All Blacks could catch Ireland at the World Cup. What influence do you think Joe Schmidt will have on them being a full coach this year rather than the selector consultant he was last year? Uh, well, I think when he's when he's a full coach, you automatically have more sway over, you know, team setup and, you know, how you approach the game from a tactical perspective. Because if you're just a selector or a consultant, 
like you know you might be asked your opinion and stuff like that but it's difficult just in my experience and you know speaking to guys who've been in that situation it's difficult to navigate if that makes sense because you're not quite sure where the boundary is where you're you know are you stepping over a line are you not are you stepping on some guy's department's toes you know what's the crack there when you're a full coach in the setup you have you're you're in there from the start you're not kind of getting on board with what they've already kind of set in motion you're kind of setting in motion your own plans as part of the team um you have a say in selection which again depending on your on your importance the head coach is always the guy who has the final say for the most part that's whether the head coach um but i think the worry from an irish perspective is that joe schmidt understands what ireland are doing from a play perspective um like i think some teams miss i think they miss the detail about what ireland are doing and look to try to just play them at their own game like joe schmidt will understand because he's one of the best analysts that has ever been in this game he will understand how ireland are actually beating teams rather than i think the way some teams think that ireland are beating teams joe schmidt will understand that and i think what the all blacks will do and this is something i've spoken about literally just there a few minutes ago is that new zealand have the ability on counter-attack to punish ireland if they if if ireland kick new zealand a lot of ball which again i think we were we were quite wary about the threat of south africa on direct transition and we shortened up our kicking game which showed good variety but i think we were more worried about the danger that would come from South Africa physically. So that was a way to keep them almost so close to us that they couldn't really land a massive shot. I think with New Zealand, uh, I think we may go to just our our straight-up counter-transition game in that one. And I think for Joe Schmidt, to have a few, uh, I suppose, to have the guys that they have that are so good at transition, that's going to be the big focus for them. Um for the All Blacks when they play Ireland or if they play Ireland again in the World Cup it will be can we catch these guys out on transition and that's going to be the plan for I think any serious team who has any sort of chance of beating Ireland that'll be it I think Joe Schmidt as one of the best analysts in the game will have looked at that and gone well we can attack them here and I think here when he's pointing at that sort of vague whiteboard there is that first transition rook on either attack or defense that's where you hurt ireland that it's just that one rook multiplied out over the whole game that's where it starts so when if it starts going on for ireland it'll be right there on both sides of the ball i think joe schmidt understands that uh this next one is from ec23 uh tom what robbie henshaw mentioned as one of the 10 ireland pillars what is it about henshaw that makes him so important given the performances we've seen from aki and mccluskey in the 12 jersey um what henshaw gives you that i don't think aki or or mccluskey gives you is i think he's a better athlete than both of them he especially when you're playing counter transition rugby which i've spoken about a lot now i i understand when you're playing counter transition rugby you need a very mobile midfield um robbie henshaw is the perfect blend of being really big but also really mobile really quick and like robbie henshaw is six foot four like you would not think it <laughs> you look at him you would not think that that guy is 6'4 but he is a big physical defender 
he's a he can truck the ball up in the carry if you like if if you need him to do that. Um, but he is so well rounded. Like Ireland are Ireland playing much better when Robbie Henshaw is in midfield. Like there's a lot of talk about is he better as a twelve or as a thirteen. Like it doesn't matter in this system. Like Ireland's biggest strength at the moment is that we have a really good defensive midfield. And I think with Henshaw alongside Ringrose, that's probably the best defensive midfield pairing. Up there with Dilende and Lucano Am for me in the game. And with the way that Ireland play with such a kind of a, a deliberate structure, in some circumstances, I think that that Ringrose and Henshaw defensive partnership is even more effective for Ireland, given how we're playing now, in the same way that Lucano Am and Damien Dilende's defensive composure and intelligence when the sort of the heavy kick pressure of the Springboks won them the 2019 World Cup like I think that's the perfect blend of players roles and overarching style impacting how everybody performs I think Ireland's current style where transition defense is a big big deal Henshaw and Ringrose but Henshaw in particular gives you everything he gives you everything that you'd want he has the physicality, for me, of McCluskey in defence. He has the aggression and physicality of Bundyaki. But he has the mobility and the pace and the acceleration of Gary Ringrose. So he gives you all of those things. He's a really good handler of the ball. He's a good finisher. He forces compressions. That's why, like, like he's a great player. Like, that's why I think he's up there as, as a pillar player for Ireland because he's got that level of ability in him. And it's only just a shame he's, he's, been, he's had so many injuries, but because... Man, that that like that is a top class player. That's why I have him down there as a pillar, because that sort of that sort of guy with that kind of rounded skill set is not very easy to replace at all. And um, this one's from Alex. Uh, Tom, have France regressed in their game by trying to have more phase play in attacking Magic? And is the loss of Bouthier a factor in that? As they don't have his crazy good kicking game. Thanks for that, Alex. Um, look, I, I think what France have done this year is. They're trying to get ahead of the curve for the World Cup in twenty in twenty twenty three. I think the days of a team being a low possession off ball team and being a team who wins is going by the wayside. I think if you're Fabian Galtier, you're looking at the game over the last number of, 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 of months, I would say, not just years, like as in the changes that have happened over the last couple of months in this game are colossal. Like, it's so much more difficult now to get a, to win a breakdown penalty. Like, the biggest thing about, about France's style of play last year was is that they kicked from everywhere inside the opposition 10-meter line. It, like, they kicked everything. And they saved their energy for pressing. They will press you on that kick. They'll meet you, like I was saying there earlier. But they're not getting the rewards on the breakdown on the second or the third phase of, of, of possession now. That's why I think a team who beats Ireland will literally just punish Ireland physically there and force Ireland to kick on the back foot. And that first transition rook is so important in that regard. But if you're France, coming up to a World Cup, I think they'll still have that kick pressure game in them when they need it. But... I think looking at their like their their kicking stats and their kicking distance has gone way down this year on, on last year. I think they're looking to try and build a I suppose an attacking game that they can also rely on. 
um, because like their kick pressure game was so imposing. Their set piece, like their 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 scrum, their line out mall is very impressive as well. But I think when you look at the talent France have available to them, they should be able to play a sort of a, a phase play game. But as you as you mentioned there, their game regresses because most of the guys who've been successful for France over the last number of years have done so while it's been a heavy kick pressure game. Attacking is exhausting. Like because when you're when you're defending, like that can be very exhausting also. But d- like attacking with the ball is like you've got so much rock work to do, like you've got collisions to win, you've got to get your depth, you've got to reset into position. Like when you're defending, you've got to get up into the line. But when you're attacking, you've got to get up into the attacking line, which is further away from where you might have been in the previous collision. So you've and you've got to do all this while maintaining your skill set. Like defending is ex- is exhausting in a different way. But when you're attacking, like if you start to, you know, start to tire, your your finesse, your skill levels will decrease as you tire. So you're more likely to throw, you know, a poor pass or if somebody passes the ball to you, make a handling error. Like that's all something that you've got to account for with your overall conditioning. In France, you look at the size of the players they have, especially against Ireland. Like this is this was something that, that really surprised me in that Ireland game was just how much possession that they played with in their half of the field which was so off scheme for what I expected from France but maybe they're looking at getting that into their game like how, you know, if a team is playing counter transition maybe we'll hang on to the ball a bit like to what La Rochelle did maybe we'll hang on to the ball and we'll punish them that way but they didn't seem conditioned for it and you can't just build that in a couple of weeks of a camp like La Rochelle can do it because they train with each other every every other week but this is again an advantage that Ireland have when it comes to um the amount of exposure that guys have to the same system the majority of this team train with each other every day and not just when they're in Ireland camp but every day during the season when they're at Leinster as well that is invaluable and like if it looked like France when they were playing like really good attacking work and but what what interested me was is that the phase play that they did manage to do was quite good and quite effective but they didn't have the conditioning for it what if they do get the conditioning for it? This this is the worry for me because this is this has been something that's come up on a different question as well. But like, why are Ireland leaning so heavily on the Leinster system and the Leinster? Uh, like, is there bias there or whatever else? This is like a couple of questions that have been in and around that that have been hinting at the same thing. First of all, anybody who tells you that there is not a Leinster bias in the Irish system at the moment is not assessing the game with their eyes. They're talking about it with their feelings. They don't want it to be the case that there is a Leinster bias because people hear bias and they think oh, some, that this is unfair. There's an unfair advantage that Leinster guys are being put in there undeservedly. That is not what I'm saying. Ireland run on a system that is based on Leinster rugby. So Ireland made this, this decision because you have to make decisions over what you're doing from a, from a, a personal perspective relatively early in a World Cup cycle. Ireland realized that you were going to be dealing with a back five that was mostly Leinster, a front row that was all Leinster, a half back pairing that was all Leinster, a midfield pairing that was all Leinster, and a back three where at least one or two players there would be Leinster players. And on your bench, you have a lot of Leinster players as well. So if you're Ireland, why would you play a radically different system than what Leinster do? if that's what you're looking at as the guys you like and like this is kind of like a chicken and egg sort of situation where 
which came first. I think there's something kind of symbiotic there where one decision kind of evolved into another and then you have your egg. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Where it didn't start off like that, that wasn't necessarily the plan, but that's sort of what they stumbled on. And as a result, that's meant that you have a far better chance of getting into the Ireland camp at the moment if you're based in Leinster, even if you're not somebody who starts big games for them because you understand the system and you have an inbuilt level of cohesion there with the guys you're playing with. So, like, it's called low latency. So, say for example, right, I'm playing rugby with Munster. My dream. I'm very good. I'm very effective. Flanker. Big muscles. Athletic. Um, and I'm called up to the Ireland camp for the first time. It's a long time coming. I've deserved it. And I rock up to Carton House and they'll give you some stuff on the way up there. Like you'll get, a, you know, elements of a playbook or whatever else. But the first training session that you're there, like Ireland are already playing, like you're, you're playing catch up when you get there. So if they're doing different drills or whatever else, you maybe haven't seen these drills before. Maybe you don't know. Now, if there was other monster players there, you might ask them about it. Like what kind of stuff should I look out for here or whatever else. But once you're there, you kind of just have to experience that. And if you're not performing well in the drills or in the reps, and then you're kind of catching or playing catch up with the training games, like you're bringing the training level down, but you're also not impressing a training either. So you're not pushing yourself forward because you don't have experience of this. Because again, most of the guys there, and I'm talking about like at the weekend here, like we're talking about maybe 60, 70% of the, of the, the squad, maybe a bit more, will be Leinster players. So what they're doing isn't just what's happening at that camp. What they're doing is going back years, seven or eight years. And that work is trans- it has gone from Leinster to Ireland and it's like they're interlinked. So if you're coming in from outside there and trying to get in, in, in up to speed with this stuff, like you either have to be somebody who is filling a weakness that Leinster have, that would be line-out work, if you're a back row player, that's an area where you can really focus on. Um, but like, if you have a um, like a, a, a guy coming in from outside, like to play catch up at all means that you're bringing the level down because we have to account for you. So you're not giving us the prep we need, and then it becomes a sort of a self, like that becomes a self-sustaining ecosystem then that kind of rejects and makes it very difficult for people from the outside to come in unless they fit a very specific role set need that the environment needs. And how France and the Springboks managed to win and be very successful over the last number of years while having guys coming in from all different clubs, like all different places, like, you know, for the Springboks in the World Cup in 2019, like people were wondering how that worked because guys were coming in from Japan, from South Africa, playing in England, playing in France, and coming in from so many different clubs and so many different environments. How did it work? Kick pressure. Kick pressure meant that you didn't have to have a massively complex attacking system. You had to have things that were easily drilled, which is your line-out, your line-out mall, and the scrum. And then you had your defense, which is based on can we kick the ball contestably? Can we chase it? Can we get into a flat defensive line that's very aggressive and puts pressure on the on the ball carriers? Yes. And the similarities between France and South Africa with regards to style of play are very similar. And it worked for them because you don't have to have a massive amount of cohesion with, your, with the, the guys around you to play a game like that. Now, if you're going to play a very a kind of a higher tempo attacking game, you need to have that cohesion because 
you need to you need to know when you throw a pass that the guy who's running the screen line off you or the guy who's running the tip on line off you you know you want to know where he's where he is and you can build that over time with a player who you don't play with every week but the guy who you play with every week you you know where he is you can feel where he's at almost so like that's something if you're france if they're going to play more of that type of ball they need to start selecting more players from the same club so if i was france and i want to try and play more on ball I would look at either getting in a ton of guys from Toulouse mainly. I would mainly base my team around Toulouse because again, you have Dupont there, you have Roman Antimac there, you have a lot of other highly talented players too. But I would start putting them in above other guys and fit the other guys around. This is the system. This is why Ireland's attacking work has been so good. It's built on the type of cohesion you can't build in a test camp. It has to come all year round. Japan did this in twenty in, in twenty nineteen. They basically spent. I think it was two years prepping for that World Cup. They had 240 days of camp ahead of the 2019 World Cup. 240 days of camp. They took them away from their top league in Japan. They, like, they basically just had an entire year's worth of prep. And how come they look so good attacking-wise? Playing a sort of rugby and a sort of, the, the sort of high-tempo stuff. How were they doing it? Cohesion. Japan were essentially a club team when they played in the 2019 World Cup. I think Ireland noticed that. And I think that Ireland took that and have built the framework that we've seen today with the majority of guys. And look, this wouldn't work if the players weren't very good. The players are very good, don't get me wrong. But that's the framework that we're playing with. And I suppose to finish off your question there, Alex, about like, have they regressed their game? They could be regressing it to step forward. Because if they can get the type of the type of phase play that we saw against Ireland but stretch that out to even be something they can do for 40 or 50 minutes without blowing themselves up from a cardio perspective that is intimidating that is very dangerous and that's something I think that um we'll only see in 2020 later on this year about whether that'll be successful or not but that is something I feel that um we'll, we'll have to wait to see how it goes because I think I think the game the way the game is going playing off ball rugby I'm not sure if that's a viable strategy anymore. Like, you're not getting the rewards at the breakdown. The offend, like the attacking team, is getting all the the impetus at the breakdown. Um, so it's it's almost impossible to slow teams down. So the only real way to do it is look, let's just not defend. Like, let's just not do that. <laughs> so if we have a chance to do it at all, we're either going to be kicking deep, where the only other option is to kick back and return most of the time, in which case you will then be attacking again pretty soon. Or to have a multi-phase game that when the team kick to you, you're able to retain the ball for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 phases. And then it might, there might be a penalty, you can play an advantage, you might get a line break, but you're tiring the team out as well if your conditioning is good enough. And this is the thing, if you're going to play that type of game, you have to arm yourself with conditioning. And I think that's something I think that looking at um, what Munster have done, see the big focus we have on conditioning, on playing with multi-phase possession, That'll give you an idea as to what Munster are trying to do. So it's all very interesting. So thank you very much for those questions. Very good questions. I have a few more that I'm going to be covering on a TRK mailbag next week, but I do have space for maybe two or three other questions. So if you have one to send in, send it in at info3rkings.com or send it to me on Patreon underneath this post when you see it. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I really do appreciate your support during the month of March. I really do appreciate it. Um, So yeah, have a good one. I'll talk to you again very soon.